Hello, and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comment section of my Q&A videos, or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. All right, 2019 has begun. We are uh, rapidly closing in on episode number 200 of this show. I think we're at 193 right now with this one. So, um, you know, a couple months and we'll be up to 200 and I'm sure I'll dream up something fantastic to do. I did a great podcast with Seth Andrews this week that I really hope you guys will uh, get take a look at. Um, I was a little dismayed. Uh, YouTube immediately demonetized it because it had religion and politics in the title. So that kind of tells you where things stand right now in terms of monetization on my channel. Uh, YouTube has been a little infuriating lately, but anyway, I'm, I'm uh, going to just carry on anyway. Uh, <laughs> and I do hope you guys check out that podcast. Uh, also, I wanted to remind everybody that uh, all year, uh, and maybe from here on out, every shirt you see me wearing is going to be available for you guys to purchase at my uh, Critical Merchandise Spreadshirt store. Link below in the description section here, okay? And also up in the corner. Um, you can link to that, and, uh, and you can put these designs on hats, shirts, uh, mugs, whatever you want. All right, so I just want to throw that out there as well. Uh, so now let's go ahead and get on with your questions. Eric Herner. The other day, I watched Aaron Smith-Levin's latest assessment of the number of members the Church of Scientology has today being less than 35,000. He broadly estimated some 10,000 to 12,000 staff, including Sea Org members, and about 25,000 public Scientologists. That is a ratio of one staff member to two and a half clients or paying customers. That is absurd. What are all these people doing? They may be busy around the clock, but what is each one, in fact, producing? Movies, spying, cleaning, cooking, etc., etc. It all seems like making work for each other and being involved in things that don't actually bring in money or provide services. Thousands of auditors for whom? How many persons does the average auditor service? Or better, what is the maximum number he or she can handle? Then there is the acquisition of expensive real estate. I saw the Church of Scientology acquired Kailami Castle in Johannesburg, a huge, crazily opulent millionaire's dream dominating the Lone Hill skyline close to where I used to work. How can they ever hope to make such a thing pay? Surely the local Scientologists cannot be expected to finance something like that. There simply aren't enough of them with money. It will probably stand empty most of the time. Similarly, in Basel, where I now live, there is an ideal org an office block costing many millions which stands empty most of the time and where nobody seems to be doing anything. Purchasing buildings like this may prove they are wealthy and growing, but they cost a whole lot of money, servicing bonds, maintaining, and so on. Eventually, all of this is surely going to deplete the funds of the church as tying up such a lot of money and in investments on which there is no return must finally lead to insolvency. Can you explain this kind of financing, how it is organized, and what the eventual outcome is expected to be versus what it is likely to be? Okay, Eric, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so let me just focus on the financing part of this so we can at least be clear about one part of this. I mean, there's, a, there's you know, I don't know, probably about an hour worth of explanatory material to break down everything you just asked me about. But let's just go ahead and focus on that. Um, because I've answered many times what it is that Scientology staff members do all day. 
uh, on this show. And you can go and, and look at my earlier episodes uh, in the Critical Q&A series to, to find answers to that. I've answered it a couple times. But as far as the financing goes, the, the Church of Scientology will not spend money on something if they can get their parishioners to donate for it in advance instead. So rarely, it does happen, but it's fairly rare that, that Scientology reserves, the money used up at the higher levels, will flow down in order to purchase a building or fund a project or fund volunteer ministers flying to an area or anything, any kind of project or mission or activity. Generally speaking, they want to pay for it before it happens or while it's happening, um, but they don't want to incur, incur a lot of debt and, and obligation and liability. So, um, so they have all this money up in reserves, and that just sits there. And Hubbard's policies are you make more money than you need, and you sock away a bunch of money in reserves, and you don't spend any of that money. That money does not exist. If you need money for something, you got to go make more money, right? This is the policy letter, which is often quoted about make money, make more, make money, make more money, right? Um, so... Kailami Castle, for example, was probably fundraised by people, uh, rich, wealthy Scientologists in South Africa or around the world. And, of course, uh, because it's an advanced organization and a Sea Org base, it also was funded by uh, reserve money, as far as I know, or at least as it's in my understanding of how finances work in Scientology. Um, the advanced organizations, the, the, the churches of Scientology that... Uh, that are manned by Sea Org members, which is the ASHOs, the St. Hill Orgs, the Advanced Orgs, all of the organizations in Clearwater, Florida, uh, all of the ones at Big Blue, right, in Los Angeles, those are all funded by the Sea Org, and the money comes from those out of the money that is made every week by those organizations. They can put aside their own funds. Um, or they can appeal for a grant from the IAS, or the Church of Scientology International just wants to get something done, so they throw the money at it. Um, these buildings are all fully paid for before they open them. Uh, Kailumi Castle or any of the ideal orgs that are being opened, the fundraising is done beforehand. They're not, it's not fundraised a little bit, and then they purchase the building and have a lease, or uh, have to, you know, have to pay, have to have a mortgage payment. That's not how it works. They buy the entire thing flat out. Then they fundraise for all the renovations for it, and that gets done. And then they open the building, and it's all paid for, lock, stock, and barrel. All they have to do now is pay for the utilities and, and, and the building upkeep and uh, maintain the staff there. So it tends to be not a really high operating cost for these churches after they've done all this fundraising or had the building bought by Sea Org Reserves and then it's over to the staff to just kind of keep the thing going. So we're not really talking about a lot of overhead. Also, the staff get paid shit. So there's not a lot of staff pay necessary for these guys. I mean, these, the staff are ecstatic if they're making 100 or 200 or, you know, $300 a week. And apparently in some places, they're up to making that now. Where I was on staff in Santa Barbara back in the day, I mean, I maxed out at 100 bucks, And I think that happened a couple, only a couple times. Most of the time in Santa Barbara, I was making 50, 60, 70 bucks a week, 10 bucks a week. No money at all. 
And it's and that is definitely the case with most of these organizations. Um, okay, so as far as you know, the staff producing and that kind of thing. I mean, again, a lot to unpack there. But basically, auditors, for example, you asked about can can service. If you had a if you had an auditor, um, they can basically service about two or three preclears at a time, maybe four or five if their board is really full up. Um, they want to get people in for many, many hours uh, during the day, for example. They want to get five, six hours, you know, slots going. And then they'll just run that PC through as many, you know, processes and actions as they can in that time and gradually work them up the bridge. Um, but you can have an, an auditor could have uh, as as few as one or two PCs or as many as as 10 really depends on the scheduling of the preclears but really I, I mean 10s stretching it you'd um, generally speaking you know you want to get the auditing delivered in 12 and a half hours a week or 25 hours a week even better and if you're going to deliver 12 and a half or 25 hours to somebody they're going to be around for quite a while I mean that's you know 25 hours is five hours a day for Monday through Friday. That's pretty full board for any auditor. They might have another part-time preclear on there, but that's about it. So, you know, one auditor to two and a half PCs kind of works out as far as the how the scheduling is supposed to work and that kind of thing. The place where you get a lot of public being serviced on a one staff member to many public ratio is in the course rooms. You can have one supervisor can deal with up to 20 students, and I've actually personally supervised up to 90 at a time. So, you know, you can have one supervisor dealing with a whole lot of people at one shot. Um, it's a little crazy, you get 90 students in there, that's, you know, the supervisor's just running ragged, and people are definitely not getting the attention that they need. The, the, the proper ratio is more about 1 to 20. And generally speaking, that's not uh, accomplished or, or, you know, or met because there's hardly ever that many students in a, in a Scientology classroom at, at any one time. Um, more often, it's about 5 to 10 students at a time per scheduled slot. So that's kind of how the service lines go. Most of the staff are um, posted at the executive level at the public divisions level to get new people in, in the technical area to service people, supervisors and auditors, and the money makers. You have the bookstore officer, you have registrars, the salespeople, and then you have a motley crew of people scattered around the other areas of the organizing board in Scientology. You might have some of the, some more executive personnel posted in Division 7. You might have, um, a, a, you know, one or two people in Treasury dealing with all the money and uh, invoicing and accounts and all that kind of stuff. Um, you might have a, a couple people in this qualifications division doing quality control. And that's, you know, that's kind of how it generally, you know, works out. The, the, the tech division, Division 4, is supposed to be... There's supposed to be two people in tech for every one person in the rest of the organization. So that's where most of the people are supposed to be. Doesn't usually work out that way, but that's ratio-wise, that's how it's supposed to work out. You also want to have in this general organizing situation, I keep sort of having this imaginary organizing board in front of me here with all the divisions in it. Um, I just, I just kind of talk that way and think that way. But in Division 6 over here, <laughs> is supposed to be about a third of the staff of the organization. So if you work out some ratios and some numbers, that's kind of how it's supposed to kind of look. 
Um, and these staff, you know, do anything from selling books and trying to body route, bring new people in, to calling people on the phones all day long, just calling, 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 trying to get new people in or trying to get existing members to donate or come in more often, beef up their schedule, get more committed. That's generally the kind of work that gets done. They write a lot of letters. You know, there's a lot of pressure to get the stats up, up, up. So they're always working on whatever they can do to do that. I mean, hell, as a staff member in Division 4 when I was servicing the public, you know, I, I wasn't always just a supervisor or an auditor. There's also logistics and ancillary personnel in Division 4. I was the director of tech services for a while, and that job in, in, includes calling people and getting them in for their services, but also logistics work. I mean, I babysat people's kids while they were on course because they, their babysitter fell through. Or, you know, I was out washing cars one time because <laughs> this woman had a bunch of errands to run and we wanted her to get through her course. And she it was going to be one or the other and her life was just, you know, what it was. So I got, you know, tapped to go out and, you know, wash her car, clean her house, and she then could come on course and do her coursework, right? I mean, it's got, it gets that ridiculous. Um, so that's, you know, uh, that's kind of a general answer to, uh, you know, your, your question. I hope that gives some details. And feel free to ask me about any other details I might not have filled in here. D.A. Many people have wondered whether or not Miscavige is a true believer in Scientology. I know he hasn't been audited since the 1990s. However, if he weren't a true believer, why would he spend tens of millions of dollars on preserving Hubbard's works in secret vaults? Okay, a couple of answers on this one. One, because they told the IRS that's what they were going to do. And in order to get tax exemption, they had to check certain boxes and they have to and they were then after the tax exemption in 93 they were audited every single year for like 10 straight years to ensure compliance with the rules and directives that they had been that they had agreed to so um, you know getting money into that vault project which is the church of spiritual technology it's actually a a full scientology organization exists just to get this done and uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, well, we've talked about it on the show before. There's, there's these vaults around in underground chambers that have been built to house all of L. Ron Hubbard's works on titanium plates and um, magnetic recording media, and, uh, which are records. Actually, they do not magnetic. Sorry, they're doing records. Uh, but they're gold or sorry, nickel-plated records that will play on solar-powered record players because <laughs> this is all in uh, preparation for the world annihilating itself and Hubbard's materials surviving such a catastrophe so that Scientology will continue to exist forever. So, um, so they don't really have a whole lot of choice as to whether they're going to put money into this or not. They, they have to. Um, as far as Miscavige believing it to be a valuable project or not, I mean, who cares? He, he probably doesn't. He probably thinks it's all just a bunch of nonsense. Or maybe he really does believe it. It's really hard to say, but for all practical purposes, it doesn't really matter. Miscavige acts as though he doesn't believe in the tech because he doesn't use it. He doesn't follow any of Hubbard's directions. Uh, but he constantly is pounding on his juniors and staff 
to, uh, and making them wrong for following his orders and then violating Hubbard policy. I mean, he's got it all worked out, you know, uh, as to how he controls these people. Um, the other thing about this, and this is kind of, you know, important point, is that Fundraising, as I mentioned in my last in, in a, an answer ago, um, fundraising is really big and important in Scientology, and a lot of fundraising gets done for this archives project, uh, just on its own. You know, we talk a lot about the IAS, we talk about the ideal orgs, but this is itself another um, source of fundraising for the church. So. I don't know that it's a real heavy one. I don't think they really roll on it as hard as they do the IAS money and the ideal org money. But I'm just saying it is another source of fundraising. And they can fundraise for this, and then the money goes, and it can get distributed however they want it to get distributed. There's no account, there's no trans, you know, there's no transparency, there's no accountability for where this fundraised money is going. So if um, you know, Joe Schmo uh, donates $10,000, $100,000 to the Church of Scientology. Um, if it's going to the IAS, then he has a form that he fills out and it goes to the IAS and that's got a paper trail to it. But if he's donating to the ideal orgs, that goes into a special fund for that. But if it's going to the archives project, that money could get tapped to go anywhere, including into David Miscavige's pocket. Like that, that money is just kind of sitting out there and there's no special forms or, or trust documents or anything like that that you have to sign in order to give that money over for that. So in other words, it could act as its own kind of slush fund. And I don't know that it would be so hard to, um, to cover one's tracks on that kind of money. So, uh, so in addition to the IAS and the ideal orgs, the, the, the Church of Spiritual Technologies fundraising efforts can also be used for other things. And at, for all we know, that might be a whole nother secret stash of money for Miscavige. So that could be another reason why he has that set up and continues to keep it in operation. In addition to everything else I already said about the IRS compliance. So there you go. CV. I have been watching and listening to you for a long time and it's always struck me at how well adjusted you seem to be. You had to start all over and lost everything you really ever knew. How? I'm asking because I lost my job of 22 years about a year and a half ago and I'm not adjusting well at all. Things haven't been the same since. I try to remain normal and I'm going on with life but feel like I'm not nearly as resilient as I once was. I guess I'm just a little desperate thinking you'll have some magical nugget of insight that you haven't already laid out for us. Do you think it's something you learned or had beaten into you in your years in Scientology? Is there any extract that can be taken and used to actually help people? I've read a lot of self-help books and things, but I find you amazing for the facts mentioned above. I need to regain or develop some resiliency. Okay, well, thank you very much for your extremely kind words about me and my resiliency. I wish in my day-to-day -day activity I felt the same way. I have all kinds of ups and downs, and while I, you know, do my best to present myself here in a, you know, in the most favorable light, um, you know, you got to really know that I've suffered through a lot of PTSD and a lot of ups and downs, and I've had my bad days, and I have definitely had my depressive episodes. And, um, and this isn't, you know, it's not, you know, what you see is what you get with me. I, this is me. But 
this isn't all of me, right? So anyway, I just wanted to clarify that because this isn't how I always am. <laughs> Um, but as far as advice goes, you know, I've talked a lot about education, and I will continue to push that because I think it is the key to happiness and uh, a good life, is knowing what you're doing, knowing where you're going, knowing what's going on around you. Critical thinking. These are really, really important, um, and they help me across the boards in every single aspect of my life. I've made a lot of videos about critical thinking. You can check those videos out. They're all in a playlist on my channel under critical thinking. So that's really the best life advice I know of. My Scientology stuff is basically talking about the abuses and the minutia and the techniques and all that stuff about Scientology. But the critical thinking stuff is where I kind of try to put my best foot forward and put information out there that I think will actually help people in their lives. I've talked in also in a couple of videos about recovery and the fact that, you know, getting you know, well, with cults, getting the old language out and all that kind of stuff is important. But for you, I think, um, I mean, I'm just kind of just kind of throwing this out there, okay? But I think another really important part of our lives is purpose. Goals, having a, a, a roadway in mind, you know? You had a job for 22 years. I don't know what it was or how involved you were, but clearly it was important to you. And, um, and that probably had some kind of uh, series of, of predictable, known things you were going to be doing. You enjoy doing it, I guess, to some degree. Um, you want to you find a good substitute for that, you know, a new one. And it could be along the same line or it could be a whole reinvention. I kind of reinvented myself coming out of Scientology and made myself into a semi-public figure here. Um, I didn't have the goal of doing that when I first got out of Scientology, but it developed. You can develop, you know, new goals and, and purposes for yourself. Um, I think that resiliency comes from strength of purpose and will. And will comes, again, back to purpose. It's a drive or an intention. You, you know, you have things you want to accomplish in your life. So, you know, set some goals. I mean, this is kind of very cliche. It's very, you know, everybody says this, but it's kind of because it's true. You know, um, fighting depression, of course, and mental uh, trauma or issues involved with that sometimes requires some counseling. Uh, again, education can be very, very helpful in that regard. Reading lots of books about um, psychology, uh, goal-making, strategies for people's lives, organizing things, you know, those might be of assistance in some way. You know, I'm, again, I'm, I'm lacking a lot of specifics with your situation, so I'm just totally broad shooting here. Um, but I, th I think that um, this point of purpose is, is really, really all-encompassing. Um, I've got lots of purposes in my life, by the way. This isn't just a matter of finding the one thing that's going to work for you. You can have lots of things, you know, that you want to accomplish or do. What do you, where, you know, where do you want to be or where would, you, where would you like to be? Where would you like to see yourself doing a year, two years, three years from now, five years, ten years? Even thinking, even posing the question can get things, parts of your brain going that you go, oh, I hadn't really thought about that, you know? That kind of stuff in itself can be kind of fun and interesting and even exciting to, you know, generate some kind of long-term, short-term and long-term goals. So, um, so those are really, really important. And I think underneath maybe all of this, and maybe this is unsaid or assumed or implied uh, and should be said out loud, 
is having a, a, being okay with yourself, being okay with who you are and, and, and that you're around and that you're an okay person and that things are going to be okay and that you're doing all right, you know. These are also important self-motivators. Um, they don't have to be cliches or tricks. You don't have to use, you know, it's, it's not, you know, staring at the mirror every morning and I'm good enough and I'm strong enough and gosh darn it, people like me, you know. I'm not talking about that kind of, you know, Stuart, whatever his name is, uh, Stuart Smalley kind of thing, right? I'm not talking about that. Um, I'm talking about um, accepting, you know, the, the circumstances of your life, the situations you find yourself in, you know, kind of confronting and dealing with that situation that you're in and, um, and knowing, you know, or telling yourself enough times until you, you know, fake it until you make it that you can deal with, you know, the future. You can deal with, the, with how you are now and you can move forward into the future and do the things that, um, that you really do want to accomplish. I mean, unless you have, you know, crazy goals like I want to go to the moon or something, I want to go be an astronaut. Uh, you know, generally speaking, a lot of, of, of things you want to accomplish are probably, you can probably pull it off uh, if you believe in yourself first. So that was sort of the unspoken assumption at the bottom of all of that. I wanted to say that because that's important too. And, um, and if you need some, you know, to reach out and get some counseling or some help or set up a support system for yourself, friends, family, associates, I mean, anything you have, use it. You know, people are way more helpful most of the time than you might assume or think that they would be. Uh, at least that's been my experience. I have been blown away by how much help and assistance and support I have received from people, including you guys. So, I don't know. That's just kind of all off the top of my head. I hope that helps. I, you know, I'm not trying to be a motivational speaker here. Uh, I'm pretty bad at that. But I, I hope that some of this might resonate with you. Write me again if any of this, you know, is helpful or not helpful, and let me know how that goes. Civil Rights Mama. I have a child with a mental health disability. Were you ever aware of Scientology preying on families or parents slash guardians who were not yet ready to face the fact that their child had a problem, i.e. there was a new normal? I know in the early stages of our family's journey, we could have been very open to arguments that denied a need for therapy or medication or anything like that. We, as our child's parents, had our own expectations that had nothing to do with her actual needs. Our child got help at our local children's hospital and has had the benefit of three years of therapy and medicine and engaged parents at this point. And our new normal still is not what most people would consider normal. She'll need these tools for the rest of her life. That's just the truth. My then spouse and I were at our weakest on diagnosis. We would have done anything under the Google God to avoid accepting our new, our child's new reality. Does Scientology target folks like us? Well, Scientology targets people who have money. So if you had money and you came into the church and you were interested in getting help for your child, they absolutely would have been all over that. 
They would have said, they would have promised all kinds of things. They would have said that we're going to help her, you know, that mental health stuff. They're just a bunch of fakes and quacks and nutcases. The psychs don't know what they're doing. Don't go get any of that help. Yeah, sure, if you have a physical situation, if she's sick or she's got some kind of brain thing or something they're going to work with her about, yeah, fine. But mostly medicine doesn't know what they're talking about. And what you need to do is solve it with Scientology. There's even an issue from Hubbard called Solve It With Scientology, where he basically lays out exactly what I just said. They are not big on medications or doctors or, or those kind of solutions, and they're way bad on having anything to do with uh, pharmaceutical or um, psychotropic solutions. They're not at all going to be down with any of that. So Scientology would definitely have targeted you and would definitely be interested in getting as much money out of you as possible to audit the disability away from your daughter. That would have been the goal or the target. Now, she would have had to be up to a speaking age. She would have had to have been able to relate to others in some fashion or another. And they probably would have run lots and lots, I'm talking tens or even hundreds of hours of objective auditing where she was going to walk around, touch walls, look at things, pick stuff up, you know, that kind of thing. That was going to be, uh, that would be what they would do with her in order to orient her in present time and get her attention out of her head and into what's going on around her, right? That, that's the only real solution that they have for somebody who has a mental disability, is they think that it has to do with some psychic trauma in the, in the past, whether this lifetime or earlier lifetimes. And in order to get to that psychic trauma, they have to get her talking and thinking. And in order to do that, they got to do the objective auditing. And they're going to just do that and do that and do that until there's some kind of, uh, you know, idea that there has been some kind of cha positive change and uh, an improvement in her. Whether that improvement lasts, whether it's real or not, that's not, you know, it's beside the point, you see. So that's kind of how that would go. And um, so it's a good thing that in that time period where you guys were floundering around trying to figure out what the hell was going on and what, you, what your real role was in this, uh, it sounds like you guys went through quite a bit, and I, I, I applaud your effort to really make it work and do the homework and do the work necessary in order to give your daughter what she really needs, because um, Scientology would not have had, had anything to do with that. Um, so really well done on getting through that whole stage, and you make a very good point that, you know, a lot of this woo, which is a word used to express um, or talk about all that alternative medicine and weird stuff and, you know, spirituality and all that kind of crap. I mean, yeah, fine, maybe we're spiritual entities, but that's not what's going to cure your cancer, man. You know, uh, it's not going to cure a child's disability to have some spiritual epiphany, you know. Like, we need to get past all that crap. And parents, unfortunately, there are so many bogus nonsense claims being made out there by people who are just trying to make money or who are themselves nuts and think that because they're nuts, their nutty solution is the answer to everybody's problem. And some of those nutcases actually talk and, and act very, very sane and very, very rational. And they're not. So you really do need to do your due diligence and you really do need to do your homework out there. And congratulations on you for doing that and making it through and, and giving the daughter, your daughter the, uh, the care that she actually needs as uncomfortable and, you know, difficult as that can be. And I definitely understand how that can be. Matt, 
Who besides Miscavige speaks at major events these days now that all the other high-level executives are either in the hole or have blown? What faces do active Scientologists see on stage these days? Would anyone from a decade ago still be showing up besides Miscavige and the LRH biographer? Hey, that's a good question, Matt. Um, and the answer is uh, random people, really. I mean, there have not been any senior executives who have been showing up at these events for the last 10 years. You put it into a decade. So I think a decade ago, there were different people. They have um, an international landlord, and they have people in PR and marketing and OSA who come and do presentations on the stage. They have the commanding officers for the various front groups come out, I think, every May 9th, and they do a kind of a breakdown on where things stand on, you know, the, the, the wise business activities and the able social betterment activities and criminon and narconon and all that kind of, all those, act, those programs, the volunteer ministers. So they have the heads of those activities come out and talk. Uh, those guys have mostly been the same people all these years because they're middle management people. They're not right under David Miscavige at the international base in Hemet. Um, uh, that's, or I should say Gilman, Gilman Hot Springs. They're not, they're not posted there. So they've not been in the hole. They don't know anything about how Miscavige beats up on deals with his, his juniors and stuff. They're at a separate location. So those people have been doing speaking and we'll see new faces prop up, you know, crop up every now and again on that line. Because um, Miscavige has done away with all the international executives. So those are the people who show up. And um, anyway, yeah, that's how that works. It's time for Flash Answers. MD. The videos produced by Scientology Media Productions in Golden Era almost look like Michael Bay films with their epic bloom lighting, color grading, slow motion, and tracking shots. Are the people who make these videos actual media professionals or are they all just randomly assigned to that post and told to make it go right? Are there any civilians that work there and get paid or are they all volunteers skilled in cinematography? What kind of training or hatting do they get or are they just thrown into the fire and expected to figure it out? Generally speaking, the people on the cine lines, the cinematography and the artwork and, and anything having to do with, with promotional materials and stuff like that, do get training. And often, sometimes they'll even get uh, professional grade training. Um, but there's a whole lot of L. Ron Hubbard issues on cinematography and color and art. And you got to study all that stuff and, and when, when you're a Scientologist or a Sea Org member doing this work. So they'll train them, you know, internally on how to use, you know, Final Cut or After Effects or, you know, um, 3D graphics programs and stuff like that. They get trained internally on that. And it's not a matter of just getting thrown to the wolves on that kind of work because you can't just do that kind of work. You know, just say, here's the mouse, figure it out. It's, it, you know, it takes a little bit more than that and they want good quality work. So they'll train the people on it, but they're not gonna send them off to college. I mean, the training is as little training as you need to get in order to produce the product, right? That's kind of how that works. And it works across the board. It's not just in the, in the cinematography area or the visual effects area that that is that way. That also has to do with construction work or renovations work or any kind of work that you're doing in the Sea Org. I used to think that we were really trained, that we were highly trained. And I found out coming out, no, we were not highly trained at all. And most of our attention was so consumed with speed 
of getting things done, taka taka taka, let's go, A to B, now, 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 that the quality really suffered quite a bit. So, um, and also, of course, you just don't have a whole lot of people, uh, you know, working on this stuff. So you have a, a small number of people doing a great amount of work, and so the quality is going to suffer because of that also. So, uh, but as far as the training or the hatting goes, that's how that works. Trip D. I presume Google's analytics show you where your viewers are. Do you see visits from within Scientology organizations? There's no way OSA is not monitoring all your videos. Yeah, I'm sure they're monitoring my videos. My demographic information only goes to countries. I can't n n narrow it down to cities and certainly not to buildings like Scientology organizations watching my stuff. <laughs> Google Analytics are not that precise. So, um, you know, so I have a general idea of, uh, and most people watching my stuff are from the United States, although I have a nice distribution from France, Germany, England, Australia, and other countries around the world. Craig Duncan. If Scientologists believe in reincarnation, essentially, then where are all the Second Life OT8s? That's a good question because, um, you know, the first OT8s were made in 1988. So it's certainly been enough years for them to have, because uh, some of them have died over these years, supposed to get a go, go get a new body, grow that body, and show up again. So where are they? I have no idea. I've never heard of anybody claiming to be a past life OT8. I have seen past life OT3s, past life Sea Org members. I even thought I was one. <laughs> um, and I've seen past life Scientologists from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So, you know, it's just give it a matter of time, I suppose. I mean, there could also be many of them, and we just don't know anything about it. But that's not the kind of thing they're going to talk about publicly. Okay, everybody, thanks for coming around and watching me and my ridiculous answers to all your questions. Uh, if you're enjoying my channel and the uh, work I'm providing for you here, please consider joining me on Patreon. It really, your support is what enables me to do this work and keep going and do all the research I'm doing to provide the video work that I'm providing at the quality I'm providing it at. So uh, if you guys are happy with this work, please consider joining me on Patreon to help keep it going. Thanks, guys, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.